This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we start with a program that was aired in 1950, Dimension X. Dimension X made its mark by adapting short stories by acknowledged masters of the craft, Isaac Asinoff, Bray Bradbury, and Kurt Vonnegut, to name a few. Now, as a writer for any field, you start out with a blank sheet of paper, and your task is to fill that page with stories that were designed for the voice and sound effects alone. After that task, employing the right performer to breathe life into that creation was next on the list. And behind every actor, there are many people involved. One of the most important, the sound technician, or as it's known today, the Foley man. What is now called Foley is a range of live sound effects originally developed for live broadcasts of radio drama in the early 1920s in various studios around the world. Phonograph recordings of the era were of not sufficient quality or flexibility to faithfully reproduce sound effects on cue, so a sound effects person had to create all the sounds for radio plays live. Jack Donovan Foley started working with Universal Studios in 1914 during the silent movie era, and when Warner Brothers released The Jazz Singer, its first film to include sound, Universal knew it needed to stay competitive and call for any employees who had radio experience to come forward. Well, Foley became part of the sound crew that turned Universal's then-upcoming silent musical showboat into a musical. And because microphones of the time could not pick up more than dialogue, other sounds had to be added in after the film was shot. Foley and his small crew projected the film on a screen while recording a single track of audio that captured their live sound. Their timing had to be perfect so that footsteps and closing doors synchronized with the actor's motions in the film. Jack Foley created sounds for film until his death in 1967. His basic methods are still used today. Let's see what's in store in tonight's show, entitled Beyond Infinity. Wheaties presents Dimension X. Adventures in Time and Space, transcribed in Future Tense. Dimension X. On stage tonight, Dimension X, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Now, tonight's adventure into the unknown, into the world of Dimension X. Somewhere in Europe, a man is walking through the darkness down a cobblestone street. It's early evening still, only a little past eight, but the street is strangely deserted. He pauses 
looks behind him, then knocks quietly on a door. Yes? Is Engineer Wensler in? Uh, what is it, please? Mrs. Wensler? Yes. I'm selling brushes. We have a nice line of brooms. They sweep well. Do they sweep the little or the large? Both. They're especially fine for the large. Come in. What cell are you in? I'm not with the underground. I'm an American. Newspaper correspondent. It's all right. Chief Nine said I should see your husband. He gave me the password. Look, you know the Americans are on your side. No, my husband is not home at the moment. If I... Eva, who is it? Someone to see Alan, father. Oh. My father-in-law knows nothing. Don't see anything which might disturb him. Okay. You wish to see my son, Mr... Uh, Arnold. Yes, a friend asked me to look him up. Uh, Mr. Arnold is an American correspondent, father. Oh, an American. It is not often I have had the chance to talk to an American these days. Things have changed, haven't they? Yes, these last few years, we have been out of touch with the world. I was working in my laboratory, Mr. Arnold. Would you care to come in while you wait for my son? Father, not the laboratory. Oh, we cannot ask our guest to sit alone in the library. And besides, I, I would like to talk. Huh? <laughs> this way, please. Thank you. Mr. Arnold, I know nothing of politics. My only interest is science. Uh, come, I, I will show you what we are doing. A most interesting experiment. Really, very interesting. Uh, oh, oh, Dr. Oh, this is Dr. Erickson, my associate. Dr. Erickson, Mr. Arnold. Uh, an American. Yes. Dr. Winsler, is it advisable to allow strangers in the laboratory? Oh, Mr. Arnold, it's my son's friend. Dr. Winsler, you will recall that the last directive... It has no bearing on the work we are doing. Our experiment is in the field of pure science. It has no military application. But the directive said... Dr. Uh, Erickson, may I remind you that I am still in charge of this laboratory? Very well. If you will excuse me, I want to test the new diatomic atmosphere. I will do that. Sorry, Dr. Winston. I'm afraid your friend Erickson doesn't like my looks. No, no, no. It's not that. It's, it's just that he's worried. He's worried for me. Afraid that someone will misinterpret your visit and report me to the authorities. He's my most loyal and trusted assistant. But he tends to exaggerate the danger. Well, I hope you're right, Dr. Say, this is some setup you've got here. That ten-foot uh, plastic cylinder, what's that for? Every experiment must have a focal point, and that transparent cylinder is ours. Mm -hmm. The objects upon which we wish to work are placed inside and brought under the catalyzed beam over here. Eva! That's Alan now. Excuse me, I go and tell you. Uh, what is this experiment you're working on, Dr. Winston? Ah, a very interesting new problem. Uh, you say you are not a physicist or engineer, Mr. Arnold? No, I'm not, but I can follow you, if that's what you mean. Yes. Well, you have been working with the problem of subatomic particles. Now, in attempting to manipulate them, to bring them closer to each other, we have discovered that we can shrink objects, reduce them in size... Well, that's very interesting. How much can you reduce them? Half size? Oh, much more. You can make objects become microscopic and still retain their characteristics. Doesn't seem possible. You can make them even smaller. Much smaller. 
theoretically, in fact, down to atomic dimensions. Well, as I said before, I'm no expert, Dr. Wenzel, but tell me, what's the point? What good does it do to shrink anything down to that size? You do not understand. Man has never actually seen an atom. But if we can reduce a camera and recording instruments to the atom size, then we would know the secrets of the universe. Mm -hmm. Ah, there you are, Mr. Oh, uh, oh uh, hello, Alan. Uh, you can't be interested in this. Why don't we go into the study and talk? Uh, but Mr. Arnold is interested. Uh, well, sir, maybe I'd better talk to Alan at that. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Mirza. Yeah. I mean to ask you if you think you can get along without me for a few minutes. There's something I must do. It's important. I uh, yes, yes, yes. As yes. uh, so long as it will not take too much time. No, no, it won't take me long. It has been a pleasure, Mr. Arnold. Uh, I shall see you soon, I hope. Yeah, sure. Okay, Alan, let's go talk. Your credentials seem to be in order, Mr. Arnold. I talked to our chief after Eva explained why you were here. I don't agree with him. Uh, look, Alan, you think the chief of your cell would have let me come here if he didn't think I was trustworthy and could help? I know, but... Public opinion can't be marshaled overnight, you know. Not even in America. Suppose the revolution is successful. It will be. All right, your only chance to make it stick will be in recognition by our government. And immediate help. Now, my stories can do a lot to lay the foundation for that. And with the date of the uprising so near... You know too much, Mr. Arnold. If this should leak to the secret police... Don't worry about it. It's my neck as much as yours. What do you think, Eva? Chief Nine said he was to be given the fullest cooperation. Very well, then. What do you want to know? Question one. What makes you think this revolution really has a chance? You can't fight tanks and guns with just your bare hands. Mr. Arnold, we believe the Wensler machine can solve our biggest problem. What's that? How to collect arms without being attacked by the secret police. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see. Now, suppose we could reduce all our equipment. Electronic guns, ray gas, anti-tank blaster. Anything which could be brought in unassembled. Reduce it to so small a size that a woman's handbag could hold enough to equip a regiment. You see what that would mean? Yeah, sure. No one would think of looking for a cannon. And... Precisely. But father's machine and the cylinder were necessary for the reduction. That's why our supply depot is right here. Here? Yes. When the day arrives, we'll enlarge the arms and cast them out. Yes, but where's the stuff now? Eva, please get me that uh, model from the men. Oh, okay. Here you are. Take a look at this, Mr. Well, that's a... It's a model of an anti-tank blaster, complete to every detail. Not a model, Mr. Arnold. This is an anti-tank gun, reduced in the cylinder by the Wensler process. At the proper time, we shall enlarge it, wheel it out through the garage, and set it up. When the men assemble, we pass out the rest of the arms, and we have our revolution. A division of men, properly armed, can take the city. Let's get back to the laboratory. Father will think it odd that we have been gone so long. <laughs> Oh, I was wondering where you were, Alan. I don't know what's keeping Erickson. He should have been back long ago. I need some help on this circuit. Of here. course, Father. What are you doing? Uh, Erickson, I have amplified the effect by putting another diatomic catalyzer into phase. I want to give a test run, Alan. If you will bring one of the animals from the cave. Yes, Father. Animals? Yes, we are experimenting now with the reduction of living animals, guinea pigs. How does it work? Those we diminish to microscopic size return unharmed. But those sent down to the atomic dimension yeah. 
the cylinder returns. But there's nothing inside, nothing. So, Dr. Winslow, have you ever tried it on a human being? I have tried to persuade Father to send me down to find out what's making the animals vanish. No, Alan, but Father, we've installed high-frequency radio communication now. If anything started to go wrong with me, I could tell you in time to reverse the process. No, I will never permit it. All right. Guinea pigs it is, then. But someday, Father, I... Yes, dear? What is it? That man, the one in the raincoat. He has been standing in that doorway across the street ever since I looked out the window. What of it? I don't like it, Alan. He has been standing there just looking at our house. Oh? Alan, do you think it is? I don't know. I'm not sure. Eva? Yes? You know what we planned in this eventuality? Yes. Get the arms and the provisions. We can't afford to take a chance. All right, Alan. You know, what is it, my son? What is Father. It's better for you not to know too much, but I'm a member of the underground. No. Eva, too. We have, no. well, we have some contraband hidden in the house. We'll have to put it in the cylinder. Contraband? What do you mean? Arms, Father. Arms and provisions for an army reduced to one fortieth size. Um, yes, we must put them in the cylinder and warm up the machine. If it is the secret police, we'll make the arms invisible, microscopic in size. Can I help? If you wish, Mr. Arnold, you can help my wife get the supplies. Okay. Alan! What is it, Eva? That changes matters. Father, you'll have to operate the machine yourself. Eva and I are getting into the cylinder. No, Helen, you can't. It's, it's too dangerous. It's the only way, Father. Those are the secret police. Ready? Ready. Set at point 034. Good. All right, Eva. Get in the cylinder. Alan, I can't let you take the chance, Alan. Isn't it enough to make the supplies disappear? Not for the secret police. They must know something, otherwise they wouldn't be here. But how could they prove anything? No, Father. Every man has his breaking point. And I can't afford to gamble with the lives of others. I don't know how I'd react on the torture. Torture? Oh, Father, you are naive, but don't worry, you'll be safe. Everyone knows you aren't interested in politics. <laughs> Mr. Arnold is an American. Perhaps that will protect him. They're coming now. Oh, my son, what have you done? There's no time for recriminations now, Father. I'm getting in with Eva. Arnold, will you help my father with the machine? And after? Yes, I'll do whatever I can. Thank you. Now, take us down to sub-microscopic size. <laughs> Hold us down until the police have got. Tell them we've left. They won't dare meddle with the machine. Tell them... Tell them it will mean death to anyone who gets in the way of the beam. When they're gone, bring us back up. I'll maintain radio silence until I hear from you. Very well, my son. There they are. The machine's warmed up. Move over, Ava. I'm coming in. Let, let me... Nothing. I've switched on the radio. If you can hear me, secure the porthole, Arnold. Okay, we hear you. <laughs> porthole secure. Ready, Father? Yes, are the oxygen then? Thanks, all right. Eva? Yes. They're breaking down the door. Atomic setting 034. Preliminary release. Temperature? 27 degrees centigrade. 760 millimeters pressure. Hurry, Father. Very well. No. Great hound. Alpha 4. 
Beta 16, gamma 0.12, temperature 30 centigrade, pressure 1100. Holy mackerel, the cylinder's only three feet high. Open that door, I want. It's getting too high. I can't do it. Stand by to reverse. No. The temperature pressure shows signs of stabilizing. Now 38 and 2,000. Make setting at angstrom 5, 10 times to the third. That's a small. We can't afford to take chances. Only three inches high. It's all right, Father. Temperature and pressure beginning to drop. Thank God. A half inch high. Oh, they are coming. They are coming. Oh, my Father. God bless you. If anything happens, it isn't your fault. Remember, this is my doing. Ava. Switch off. Yes, come on, come on. Yes, 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 come come on. Yes, 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 come on. Who, me? Just a friend of the family. Arrest him. Get your hands off me. Let go of me. Now, Dr. Wensler, your son and his wife, where are they? Answer me, you old fool. They, they, they left a few minutes before you came. Left? Jan, I told you to watch all the exits. We did, Commander. Mouse could not have escaped. I swear it by the leader. They are not here. You... What do you know of this? I told you, they left some time ago. Keep an eye on them. Keep away from that machine. Jan. Yes, sir. Send out a general alarm. Yes, come on. Dr. Wensler, who are your son's friends? Please, please. Commander, let me finish my experiment. I I know nothing about my son's activities or his friends. I swear it. I know nothing about politics. So... I must stay here until this experiment is finished. It is too dangerous to be left unattended. Very well. But take the American to headquarters. The rest of you, search the house. Look here, I'm an American citizen. I demand... Erickson! Yes, my dear Vincent. And your father, Commander? Erickson. You have betrayed me. I am a member of the League of Loyal Scientists. Your oh. son is the traitor, not I. Have you found him, Commander? No. We have searched the house. Nothing. They swear the son and his wife escaped before we arrived. That is ridiculous. They were here when I left. People do not vanish into thin air. Then where are they? Right, right under your nose, Commander. But they're in the cylinder, of course, under the beam there. That is the only place it would be. Allow me to handle the controls. You shall have your prisoners in five minutes. I see. Very clever, Dr. Wensler. Very clever. All right, Erickson. You take charge of the machine. You spy, you traitor. Don't let you... him touch that guy. Oh, grab him. You, George, you won't, George. There. He has set it for subatomic dimension. What does that mean? Whatever is in that cylinder has become as small as the atom. Then shut it off. It has almost reached nadir. We must wait ten seconds, then reverse polarities. The machine has reached nadir. Angstrom 10 to the minus 11. We must now wait. 10 seconds. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5,
don't know. Something must have gone wrong. Alan, look out there. Why? Why, it's the solar system. It's coming at us so fast. Look, the sun. Sun? No, that can't be. Eva, that's the nucleus of an atom. We've reached the subatomic dimension. That sun is the nucleus. And those planets are the electrons revolving about. That planet coming up at us. They're on the other side of the sun. I mean, the nucleus is... An electron. It's growing in size. They're heading straight for it. They're coming down on it. They are going to land. It's the lady. We haven't shrunk for the past two or three hours. Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere in a valley between the mountains of a huge electronic ring. It's almost fun resting on the surface of an electron. Look. The soil under the floor of the cylinder. It looks like vegetation. Yes. Moss. Like it. That's the last of the year. I've been expecting it to go out for the past two days. We have, perhaps, a half hour more. Eva, dearest. There is one chance. That vegetation, that means there must be some sort of atmosphere on this electronic planet. We have to take that chance. Eva, are you willing to step out of the cylinder with me? Of course, my dearest. For whither thou goest, I will go. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. When thou diest, I will... <laughs> we haven't much time. Ready? Ready. All right. Open the portal. Seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, ten seconds. I shall now reverse polarity. I see something. The cylinder? Yes, here it is. Just a few seconds more and it will become normal size. A foot high. Keep that man quiet. It grows very rapidly. Yes. Three feet high. Four... Now, there you are, Commander, and in a moment, you will see your prisoners. Get the door open. Yes, sir. There is no door, my Commander. No door? Erickson. But there must be. No, sir. Nothing but a gas valve. You are right. Nothing but violet gas. <laughs> That's impossible. Where are your son and his wife? We told you they left the house some time ago. That is a lie. Where are they? I do not know. Erickson, open that valve. Let the gas be poisonous. You shall see. Open the valve. Very slightly. What is that? I, I don't know. I, I seem to hear music inside my head. So did I. <laughs> 
Apparently, the gas produces auditory hallucinations. Open the valve again. Careful. We, the people of peace, greet the great scientist, the omnipotent, the maker of all. I, I thought I had a voice. This is the law of our people, laid down by our first father ten million years ago. But always and ever there be this record of our race. For it is told that thou, in the fruitfulness of time, shall take back unto thee this ark, like unto that cylinder in which the first father and mother of us all came unto us. I, I don't understand. I am the last of our race, and the sun is cold and desolation is upon the face of our planet. But in our time there was majesty and joy and the gleaning of the fruits of the soil. For we have been the people of peace and life was bountiful for generations until that day came when in thy everlasting wisdom thou didst decree the end of all. Though there were some who wept, we did not query why. For we have been a happy race we have followed the law of the first father, Alan, <sighs> and of the great mother, Ava. No. And we have builded this ark so that there may be report of our deeds and of the fulfillment of the trust. Now I, Lamarian, the last of the billions who lived here, do lie me down into that last sleep, from which, if thou will, I shall awake unto the land which is thine. Hail, O Great One, from the descendants of Alan and Ava, hail and farewell. Good Lord, what was that? And Ava, Dr. Wensler, where are they? They are beyond your reach. What do you mean? Don't you understand? All time is relative. One year of our time is one revolution of the planet Earth about the sun. Somewhere down in the microcosmos, my son and his wife found themselves in, in an atomic universe. Uh, of course. And landed upon an electronic planet. That planet whirled around its sun. The nucleus of an atom a million times in the space of a second. Our second. Dr. Wesley, what are you trying to say? That voice we heard is the voice of a human being, the last member of a race whose blood is mine. For in the space of ten seconds of our time, Alan and Eva settled upon their microcosmic planet and bore sons and daughters in the great and peaceful race that lived and died beyond infinity. And my children, Alan and Ava, who founded that race, are dead and gone. Ten million years ago. Ten seconds ago. Dr. 
Tonight, Dimension X has presented Beyond Infinity, an original radio drama written by Vierre Gerson. Featured in the cast were Les Damon as Arnold, Lada Stavitsky as Ava, E.A. Krumschmidt as Dr. Wensler, and Joe DeSantis as Alan Wensler. Your narrator was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. In a moment, we'll tell you about next week's show. And now, here is your Wheaties man, Frank Martin. This is Ed Prentice batting for Frank Martin to bring you a word from a fellow most of you know. Lucius, would you step over here, please? You bet, Ed. Folks, I'm Luke Captain. I've been playing shortstop for the Chicago White Sox practically forever. Yes, it is practically forever. This makes your 20th season, Luke. You think it's going to be a permanent job? <laughs> well, you know, Ed, I play baseball like I eat Wheaties. Just get set and plow right through. Wheaties and baseball just seem to go together. The Wheaties give me the energy to play more baseball... And a tough game gives me the appetite to eat more Wheaties. I think it's a real nice arrangement. Well, Mr. Appling, if you're happy, so are we. Thanks a million to our real Wheaties champion, Luke Appling. And folks, if you haven't had the pleasure of Wheaties lately, have some tomorrow. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. And eat happy. Next week, a strange story of other worlds... The story of the barbaric Potters of Thirst. Another adventure into the unknown world of tomorrow. The world of... Dimension X. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen tomorrow night to Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen. From Hollywood, the George Burns and Gracie Allen Show for Hormel and Spam. Crazy people. George Burns and Gracie Allen are the show when his orchestra singing glee with a smoothie sea. Last but not least, and with Bud Heaston. There's a fun George and Gracie. Uh, thank you very much. Hello, Bud. Hello, Gracie. Say, you should have been with me Saturday night. I went to a party at Irene Dunn's house. By the way, Bud, uh, what's Irene Dunn doing? Dunn doing? <laughs> what kind of English is that? <laughs> what kind of English is that? Yeah. I said, what's Irene Dunn doing? You mean, what's Irene Dunn? 
<laughs> Gracie, isn't Irene Dunn a motion picture star? Well, yes. I saw her in My Favorite Wife. Well, that's the picture that Irene Dunn did. Dunn did? <laughs> oh, that's even worse than Dunn doing. <laughs> well, George, maybe I can help you. You see, Gracie, Irene Dunn told me that... Uh, Dunn told you? <laughs> oh, what did Irene Dunn told you all, Rochester? Look, Gracie, when Irene Dunn does a picture, it doesn't mean that Irene Dunn done a picture. It means Irene Dunn did a picture. And the picture that Dunn did is what Dunn's done. Do you feel all right, Daddy? But why did you have to stop us? Senor Burns, you say una cosa muy graciosa de esta película. That's the guitar player, yes. What is it, Senor Lee? I saw that picture with that Irene Dunn. And that Kenny Grunt, he's wonderful. <laughs> Kenny Grunt? Hey. You mean Cary Grant? Remember in the picture when she puts her arms around him and hugged him and squeezed him? Yes. Well, Kenny Grunt? <laughs> Hardy, will you keep that South American park your carcass quiet? Okay, Poopsie. And stop with that Poopsie. That's where... That's what the girl called me here last week, and now it's all over. Oh, George, I knew I had something to tell you. You know that sweet little girl who was up here last week? The one you promised to make your new partner on the radio? You mean Elsie Trollifast? Yeah, that's the one, Poopsie. Stop calling me Poopsie. <laughs> and I was only fooling when I promised to put her on the radio. Don't tell me that she's taking it to heart. Oh, worse than that, she's taking it to court. <laughs> She's taking it to court? Yeah. And when she told me that she was suing you for $10,000, I told her a thing or a couple. $10,000? Yes, I said to her, I said, I said, I said, Elsie, by the time you get through buying the clothes to wear in front of the jury, paying your lawyer and paying your court expenses, you have nothing left out of the $10,000. Well, What's she... the sense of it? That's right. Did she see your point? She certainly did. Oh, good. Now she's doing you for 200000 <laughs> You add left 100 <laughs> Two, 200000 Oh, don't worry about it, George. A friend of mine was sued for $150,000, and he didn't pay a cent. Well, Artie, I'd like to meet him. And you can talk to him tomorrow. Well, good. Visiting hours are from 2 to 4. <laughs> well, I'm certainly in a lovely mess. Now I'll have to get a lawyer, and it'll probably cost me thousands of dollars. Oh, not the lawyer I hired for you. You hired a lawyer for me? Yeah, and he's very cheap. Well, how do you know he's cheap? Well, I had lunch with him today, and I had to pay my own check. <laughs> Gracie, did anybody ever tell you that you were a little imbecilic? Yes, yes. a picnic one. I see. Well, I guess he didn't mean it because I never saw him again. <laughs> Everything happens to me. A lawsuit for a hundred thousand, for two hundred thousand dollars. Uh, Senor Burns? Uh, what? If you're looking for a good lawyer, get my uncle. He handled the Dreyfus case. The Dreyfus case? You mean Alexander Dreyfus from Devil's Island? No, the taxi Dreyfus from Coney Island. <laughs> $200,000. I wouldn't pay that Elsie Trollifass a nickel. Good for you, George. That'll help me a whole lot. That'll help you. I'll be able to tell our listeners that both you and Spam are in the can. <laughs> well, that hit the spot. <laughs> Thanks, George. I thought so. And here I was saving my money for when I was old and decrepit. And just where you are, look what happened. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing is absurd. Well, George is right. That Elsie is nothing but a gold digger. And I told her plenty, too. I, I told her that before she'd get a dime from you, George, you'd draw all your money out of the bank. <laughs> 
Oh, that wouldn't frighten a girl like Elsie. Oh, it wouldn't, huh? It scared us so that she tied up your bank account. <laughs> tied up my bank account? Oh. Look, George passed out. Well, I can't understand it, Bud. Wouldn't you think he'd be interested in what I'm telling him? While the boss is out, the smoothies, Babs, Charlie, and Little will sing Cherry Berry Bean. Gracie, that's extract of bitters. That's extract of bitters. That's terrible stuff. I know. Hold his head while I give him another spoonful. Nope, nope. <laughs> another spoonful. Nope, nope. Gracie, you're spilling half of that medicine on his chin. Wipe it off. I can't. It burns my fingers. Nope, nope. Well, listen, George, I've got some bad news. Oh, gee, still out, huh? Yeah, hold his head, Artie. Nope, nope. Well, listen. Listen. Elsie's sweetheart is outside, and he's a big bruiser, and I can't hold him, and he says he's going to come in here and mop up the floor with George. Shall I call for help? Oh, no, no. He and George can mop up this floor without any help. <laughs> Gee, this is awful. What do we do? Well, uh, how about you and me going to Ciro's tonight? Oh. Look, is George coming, too? No, just you and I. <laughs> He's coming out of his faint. Shall I tell him about Elsie's sweetheart, that big bruiser who's coming here to beat him up? No, no, not that. He'll fight again. He'll faint again. 
That's all right, that's all right. There's plenty of medicine left. Oh, where am I? Oh, I know. Hmm. Boy, this lawsuit has certainly left a bit of taste in my mouth. Gracie, that's Elsie's sweetheart. Hey, sound man, that's probably my lawyer. Let him in. Mr. Burns, before I open the door, do your insurance policies carry double indemnity in case of death by accident? Well, yes. You are a very lucky man, weren't you? <laughs> sound man, will you let my lawyer in? You asked for it. Who's George Burns? Uh-oh, here comes Malicious. <laughs> I'm George Burns. Oh, so you're George Burns. That's so right. What about you and Elsie Chalapet? Oh, well, he, he doesn't know her. He's never heard of her, have you, George? Certainly I know Elsie um, Chalapet. I know her very well. And, mister, if you're going to help me out of this legal jam, I might as well tell you the truth. Good. I'll give it to you straight from the shoulder. Oh, vice versa. <laughs> Just how well did you know Elsie Chalapet? Well, um... Not a man who likes to boast, but on the other hand, this is no time to hold anything back. Calling Dr. Kildare. Calling Dr. Kildare. <laughs> uh, one night about a week ago, I was taking her home in a taxi, and I put my arm around her. Like this? Yeah, but I held her a little tighter. You mean like this? Oh, wait a minute. Not that tight. <laughs> oh, that was quite a crush. Yeah, it couldn't have killed me. And after I took Elsie home, we were standing in the hallway. Uh, Senor Burns? Standing in the hallway with Elsie, you see. Senor Burns? And uh, we were both in the hallway. Hey, Pupsy! <laughs> what is it, Senor Lee? Uh, can I have your tooth powder after you get your teeth knocked out? <laughs> I'm not going to get my teeth knocked out. I know something that you don't know. <laughs> Artie, will you keep that stale character quiet? So we were standing in the hallway, and I put my lips against Elsie's, and she... George, George, shall I play my number now? What, uh, what number? Get out of town before it's too late. <laughs> Artie, you're not playing that number. No, no, this is the number you're playing, Artie. Let me get at the piano. When April showers will come your way, be careful, Pepsi, of what you say. We're trying to tell you, take it on the lamb. This fellow isn't what you think he is. If you want to continue for Sam, just keep your mouth shut. Oh, quiet, quiet. Anyway, mister, I was standing in the hallway with Elsie, and she threw her arms around me. Stop, man. Stop, man. Stop slamming the door. You know I hate bangs. You hate bangs? Then keep your mouth shut. You've said enough. Oh, quiet, quiet. Yeah, what's going on? This guy behind you is pretty tough. You'll be looking up at daisies that you won't be able to smell. Wah, 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 wah. Whenever Elsie's boyfriend comes. Ah, ah, Good evening, Forest Lawn. <laughs> What's going on here? Here I am worrying about $200,000 lawsuit and everybody's singing. Say, did Elsie ever happen to mention her boyfriend? Yeah, I heard her say something. She's going around with some dope or something. Dope? Hold your hats, boys. Here it comes. You did say dope, didn't you? Yeah, some big dope or something. Sound man, why are you opening the door? There's nobody going out. That's what you think. 
Hey, Mr. Burns, I think we can talk this over better in the alley. Yeah, it's too noisy in here. Come on, let's go. Mr. George, George, don't tell what Irene Dunn done. He'll be done. What Irene Dunn done? What's that? Irene Dunn told me it's Elsie's boyfriend. What Irene Dunn? Who's afraid of Elsie's boyfriend? Why, with one hand, I can crumple him to pieces. I'm Elsie's boyfriend. And with the other hand, I can... Oh. What happened? Oh, George is fainted. Artie, hold his head while I give him some more medicine. Yeah, when he comes to... When he comes to, tell him that he's not only being sued for $200,000 for breach of contract, but I'm suing him for 300000 for alienation of affection. Goodbye, everybody. And goodbye, Pooksy. Well, what are we going to do with George? He fainted again. Can't anybody do something? I can do something. We'll do it. That'll be delightful. Yeah. Yo tengo buena suerte con todos los jueguitos. Pero lo que es mi fuerte es el juego de amorcitos. Hay una muchachita quien yo quiero conquistar. Les apuesto lo que quieran, que la voy a ganar. Se llama nada, ella es mi nada. Mi nada no hace nada más que amar. Yo quiero a nada, no hago nada. Más que de mi nada soñar Cuando beso a mi nada Nada beso al parecer Pero nada tiene todo Para hacerme arder Yo quiero a nada No hace nada Nada más que Ted, I'll give him another spoonful. Boop, boop. Gracie, is this medicine good for fainting? Oh, it's marvelous for fainting. How do you know? Well, every time I give my daddy a spoonful, he faints. Oh, oh. What happened? Who am I? George Burns. Where am I? George Burns. Oh, who types these things, anyway? <laughs> where, where am I? On the spam program. What's, what's spam? What's spam? Boy, you must be groggy if you don't remember what Spam is. Why, George, Spam is what you have fried with eggs for breakfast. Spam is what you have for lunch, sliced cold in sandwiches. Spam is what you have baked whole for dinner. Oh, yes, but I remember now. And you ask me what Spam. Why, George, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, I'm a bad boy, yes. <laughs> Why, everybody knows that Spam is tender, delicious meat, all ready to eat as it comes from the can. All right, but I'm sorry. Easy to serve, economical to use. Spam is the reason housewives are spending less time in the kitchen and still giving their families good food on the dot. I apologize, but Spam is wonderful. Well, thanks, George. Yes, I didn't mean it, but I'm oh. so sorry. Okay, sit down. <laughs> now, ladies, here's a grand suggestion for dinner tomorrow night. Open a can of Spam, S-P-A-M. As I said before, it's all ready to eat, so just slice Spam and serve with tomatoes, corn on the cob, a simple dessert, and your favorite beverage. You'll have nothing but compliments from the whole gang because the meaty flavor, the grand taste of Spam satisfies even the huskiest appetite. And when you try the other recipes on the label, you'll discover Spam has dozens of uses, cold or hot. So remember, you'll spend a lot of time out of the kitchen when you keep Spam on your pantry shelf. It needs no refrigeration. Get a supply when you shop tomorrow. Just say to your food dealer, I want Spam. I want Spam. Slice it. Dice it, fry it, bake it, cold or hot, spam hits the spot.
Oh, now I remember. Elsie Trellifast's boyfriend. What happened to him? He's gone. Uh, I wish that lawyer would come. Being sued for $200,000. Why, if I lose that case, it'll be like taking the shirt off my back. Well, here comes Striptease Burns now. Striptease Burns? Yeah, because her boyfriend is suing you for $300,000. $300,000? Oh. Artie, hold his head. Oh, well. <laughs> Say, George, George looks flushed. Has anybody got a thermometer? Uh, here's one, Senor Bud. I got it off the wall. That's a barometer, not a thermometer. In his condition, he'll know the difference? <laughs> oh, give it to me, Bud. Open his mouth, Artie. Oh, my, this is awful. Well, what's wrong with George? What does it say? He's partly cloudy in the southern region. <laughs> Take the barometer out of George's mouth. Oh, here it is. And I'll put his teeth back in. Now give him another spoonful. 
Gracie, that's the 30th spoonful you've given him. It hasn't done him any good. I know. Well, then why are you making him finish all that terrible medicine? I want to get my nickel back in the bottle. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, where is he? Who? The lawyer. He's supposed to be here. Oh, my head. Oh, what's the matter, George? I don't feel well. I've got spots in front of my eyes. Oh, then that stuff I gave you is a fake. Fake? Yeah, look what it says here in the bottle. Good for removing spots. Gracie, that's Carbona uh, Senor Burns? Yes, what is it, Senor Lee? Uh, once I had a date with Brenda and Carbona <laughs> Brenda and Carbona? Hey. Carbona makes you sick Brenda is a doll? <laughs> Howdy, will you send that broken down guitar player back to local 802? Oh, this must be him Come in uh, Mr. Burns? Yes? My name is Jules Covey, attorney at law. I'm calling with reference to the Elsie Tolifas case. Well, I'm glad you're here, Mr. Covey, as I'd like to explain the whole thing to you. Well, that's what attorneys are for, Mr. Burns. Well, now, to begin with, I did take Elsie Tolifas out a few times. She was young and pretty, and after all, I'm only human. George, don't say anything you can't prove. <laughs> I've got that down, Mr. Burns. Well, anyway, the first night I, I met her, we drove out to the beach, and the radio was playing, and I had the pot of gold on. Is that prettier than a derby? <laughs> <laughs> Will you be quiet? Go ahead, Mr. Burns. I'm writing it down. So we were driving along, and I kept telling her how pretty she was and how smart she was, and pretty soon we came to a lonely spot, and I ran out of compliments. Well, that's a new one. Most fellows run out of gas. <laughs> Percy, for your information, there are lots of couples who don't neck in parked cars. Yeah, the woods are full of them. <laughs> All right, so maybe I kissed her a few times. But please, Gracie, it's very important that the lawyer hears my story. I've got that down, Mr. Burns. Of course, that wouldn't look very good to a jury, so when we, we get to court, Mr. Colby, let's cut out the kissing. You mean you and he'll just hold hands? Gracie, <laughs> will you keep still? Go ahead, Mr. Burns. I've got that down. Well, you can tell the jury that I'm a man of very fine character. George, Mr. Covey just met you. He doesn't even know you. Well, if he doesn't know, George, then he can say it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this cast is always kidding me like this, Mr. Covey. But uh, they'll be glad to be character witnesses for me, won't you, boys? Oh, you bet your life we will, George. I'll be glad to stand up in court and tell them what a wonderful guy you are. Oh, thanks, but uh, how much does it pay? <laughs> You know, now you've got me so confused, I don't know which way to turn. Oh, a Los Angeles driver, huh? Uh, a lot of fine friends. Senor Burns? What is it, Senor Lee? For 50 cents, I will tell the jury that you are a perfect gentleman. 50 cents, huh? Okay. I won't pay it. All right, so I'll say you're good for nothing. You got that down, Mr. Colby? Poor George, he started out looking for a character witness, and look what happened. No witness, no character. <laughs> oh, keep still. Anyway, Mr. Colby, I met this Elsie Trailer fast in a restaurant, and you never saw anybody eat so much in your life. She ordered a double porterhouse steak, and in two seconds, she looked up at me, and what do you think she said? I've got that down, Mr. Burns. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly what she said. You see, it really was a lot of innocent fun. Oh, so that's what happened. 
Well, not exactly. <laughs> That's what I want you to tell the jury. If the opposing side knew the real facts, I wouldn't have a leg to stand on. You see, between you and me, I did promise to put Elsie Trellifass on the radio. <laughs> I see what you mean, Mr. Burns. And believe me, I can't possibly lose this case. Uh, uh, good day. Good day. Now, there's a great lawyer. See, Gracie? He says he can't lose. Oh, that's what he says. I'll bet your lawyer will beat him. <laughs> My lawyer? My lawyer? Yes. Who was that? Oh, Trellifass's lawyer. Elsie Trellifass's lawyer. Artie, hold his head. Before George and Gracie return to say goodnight... They want me to tell you that Spam is a mighty good mealtime hint for your household tomorrow and every day. Ask for Spam, S-P-A-M, when you shop tomorrow and try the easy recipes on the label. Well, thanks, bud. Well, Gracie, say goodnight. Oh, goodnight. And by the way, George, here's some good news. You know, it didn't do Elsie Trellifast any good to tie up your money. Swell, Gracie. Why? Well, I found out that your bank just failed. Oh. Oh, Artie, hold his head. Well, will George come to by next week? Will he win the case? Will he have to pay $100,000? What will happen? Who cares? Good night. <laughs> Listen again next Monday night, same time, same station, for George Burns and Gracie Allen, with Artie Shaw and his orchestra and the smoothies, brought to you by Hormel and Spam. Until then, this is Bud Heaston reminding you to remember that cold or hot, spam hits the spot. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer as well for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.